This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. My guest today is Stephen Hewitt, who is the executive director at iCustomer and the internal consulting group global thought leader on customer needs and growing your business by identifying and providing those needs to your customers. He is the creator of the net customer needs score that allows us to understand if customers are getting their needs met and what to do next. He is also the author of three books, The Customer Centric You people centricity and customers are the agenda he is also a pilot and a strategic thinker about how to make more money as fast as you possibly can welcome Stephen. hi mark it's a pleasure to be here tell me about how you chose to create this net customer needs score we've all heard of the net promoter score and you've come up with what you think is actually even more powerful. I happen to agree with you after our conversations. Tell me how you came up with this. Well, Mark, I actually started a long while ago. As you mentioned in your kind introduction, um, I started life as a pilot. And when I was taught to fly, I was given an option. I was told that I could be taught by rote or I could be taught by first principles. And mm. first principles are always better because you only have to learn a small number of things and then you can apply those principles to pretty well everything that happened to you when you were flying. And I've tried to take that piece of advice forward into my business life, which I've been doing for the last 30 years. Let's just take a break there because what you just said was a massive piece of brilliant information that every executive needs to wrap their head around. You have the choice to learn either by rote or by first principles. The difference between those two is the difference between training and education. Training is by road. Do it in this procedure. Do it in this process. 
And the challenge when we use rote training for our teams is they have very little latitude to adjust when things change. The problem with that is anybody who accepts rote training is at risk to be replaced by artificial intelligence and robotics. You're absolutely spot on. And by its very nature, rote can only do with a set number of scenarios. That's right. And the reason I was taught to fly the way I was taught to fly is because if you fly that way, sooner or later, a scenario will turn out that will kill you. Guaranteed. Um, guaranteed. And it kills people on a regular basis. It does. And there are people out there who still want to fly that way. But by learning a simple set of principles, whether it's flying or running your business or interacting with your clients, then you genuinely are prepared for pretty well any scenario that turns up. I love uh, it. As long as you're agile enough to apply that on the fly. That's something I've applied through my business career well, forever. And I'm pleased to say so far it's been successful. Well, that dials right into my belief that we've talked about on the show a number of times, which is the concept of systems thinking versus goals thinking. And Rote is really about goals. First principles is about systems. So I really like that setup. That's a great foundation. Please continue on about how you're applying first principles to the business that you do. Sure. You can take that first principle concept and you can apply it to any complex problem or system or whatever it is. And for many years in my interactions with clients, I had a common thing, which was it's really hard to be great with your customers because they're also varied. They're also different. Some of the organizations I deal with have literally millions of customers. How can we possibly know what every customer wants? If you step back from that and you apply the first principles, the first thing you realize is that actually there are a relatively small number of things that customers need from an organization. If you apply that test yourself and you say, last time I interacted with a brand, an organization, so what were the top five things I needed for them to deliver for me? Usually a customer will talk about one to three things pretty quickly. They'll probably think a bit harder about number four and tell you what it is. And then they'll make up number five. because I, <laughs> I really love that piece of advice there. They immediately come up with one, two, and three. Well, I need good customer service. I need cheap prices. I need the stuff to be in stock. Uh, you know, it's really, I like the quality and uh, the bathrooms are clean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then your only real question is, if I hear that from one customer, do I have that piece of feedback times a million customers? Or in fact, is there commonality across the customer base? Mm -hmm. And you know what? In 15 years of applying that principle, there's a huge amount of commonality. So the simple secret here is that there's a relatively small number of things, needs, you might call them, that you have to fulfill for your customers. And if you do that really well, you've created a marvelous footing on which to create really great customer experience. Mm -hmm. And that customer experience creates competitive advantage. It creates the ability to continue to, to grow your value and to continue to make profits in a world where profit seems to be difficult to come by. What do you see as the trends in what customers need as far as a net customer needs score? Let me first of all just talk a little bit about net customer needs, which is what you asked me earlier. Let's get that horse in front of the cart. So the simple concept about that, if you define what that small number of needs, that proof of needs, and, and for a, even a large global company that may be as small as 15 to 20 needs mm -hmm. for all their customers, then if you know what those needs are, then the next common sense thing to do is measure them. That's exactly what net customer needs score does. It basically allows you to work out 
am I meeting those needs or not meeting those needs? And as you've already said, there isn't an option about meeting those needs because they're fundamental, they're basic, they're the things that you must have. You can easily express the score as the number of needs being met against the number of needs not being met. Mm-hmm. The probability of defection, churn, them not doing business with you in the future goes up dramatically if you're not meeting those small number of key things. Mm. There are lots of statistics that prove this, but actually all you really have to do is sit back and use your common sense and say, well, that must be right, mustn't it? And that simple piece of thinking and that simple way of measuring are the basis of NetCNS, customer needs score, and the whole philosophy and thinking around how to understand what your customers need. I think that's a really elegant system that you've created. It's one of those blinding flashes of the obvious. And yet people just don't do that kind of surveying or understanding or adjusting. And of course, we see that in the churn in the marketplace. Lots of the organizations I do with, they will be doing this intuitively, Mm -hmm. but they won't be defining it. They won't be writing it down. They won't be measuring it. Lots of businesses are out there are successful and they will typically intuitively apply this thinking. But because they don't measure it, because they don't define it, then they're not able to improve on it. And you touched on this earlier in that what do you do with needs? What you do with needs is you make sure you deliver them. And of course, you make sure you deliver them at the lowest possible cost. Mm -hmm. They have to be really well met, but at the lowest possible cost. And that's the fundamental basis for a successful business. There is more to do, but if you're not doing that, then you're not moving down the path to being a really great, successful business. How do you measure the needs with your customers? When you're doing this for a client, what's the process that you go through? Is it just as simple as sampling, polling, asking people questions? We essentially listen to what customers are telling the organization. There's two steps. There's the confirmation and definition of what that small group of needs are. We typically achieve that step by um, looking at the latent data that customers are already giving the business. Many, many businesses collect data, whether it's via an NPS score or whether it's better customer feedback. What tends to happen is the organization, and if they're big enough, the organization's inside department will focus on the number and will rarely look at the verbatim feedback. They do that because the perception is that numbers are easier to understand and easier to focus on. And (laughs) the problem is that actually the real value, the gold dust, is actually in what customers say. I've just recently been dealing with an organization where they were very focused on an NPS score. Let's just make sure the listener knows that that's the net promoter score, a very popular way of measuring customer satisfaction. But I believe there's some serious issues with the net promoter score. I'd like to hear your take on it. Mine initially is the problem is that it's very difficult to satisfy people to the level where they're going to be out there as raving fans. You'll get a percentage who will love you no matter what you do, percentage who hate you no matter what you do, doing the same exact thing. So the problem is that a net promoter score also halfway measures the people that hate you as well. The other aspect of it is that we're turning over our marketing to customers and that is always a bad thing because you lose complete control. Now, I want to hear your augmentation of that, too. I completely agree with you. I think in itself, there's nothing wrong with the net promoter score, but it's been pushed and stretched and changed 
to a point where it's now positively dangerous for a lot of organizations. So, um, so <laughs> it's possible to fool yourself. Absolutely. So to give you some very practical examples, as I said, we were doing an organization, one of the largest insurance providers in the UK, where they were focused on the net score, the score for the business. It was only when we started to talk to them about needs and they started to look at what people were saying about their needs compared to what they were scoring their needs that mm. the realization for the board occurred, which was, so what you're telling me is here's somebody who is saying they're quite content with our service, but they're giving me a net promoter score of six, which of course, is, as you know, is actually a detractor. Then they were completely misinterpreting the way the data was being. Yeah. And the other thing they realized is they had a significant number of people who just got the answer to the question wrong. So they were saying, you are a brilliant organization who do a really great job for me, NPS score one. Um, so <laughs> you have to tell people which end of the spectrum is good. Exactly. And the other thing is because boards are presented with a number, a single number. The other issue is that they don't realize that that score is still to a great extent subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's a number, but it's subjective based on the customer's interpretation of the question asked. That can be a huge difference. Indeed. You started off with the conversation talking about how every customer is different. It's very difficult to measure customer needs because there are so many of them and they have widely differing needs. They also have differing experiences of which to compare the current experience to past experiences. And so just coming up with a single number just cannot be enough to identify how you're taking care of the stratification of your customers. It can't be, and the context in which it's used can be misleading. So I recently had a flu jab here in the UK. For my American audience, that would be sure. a flu shot. Yes, indeed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so a flu shot. We're separated by a common language. Indeed. It took literally about three minutes. I did it on the way to work. Within five minutes of having the flu shot, I got a text from my local doctors asking me whether I would recommend them to people having flu shots. Mm. That's clearly mad. It's a utilitarian thing. It's not something I'm going to make a recommendation about. And I think you touched on this earlier. There's a huge amount of golden information mm. which is lost between Net Promoter Score 1 and Net Promoter Score 8. Basically, you have to get a 9 or 10 to be a promoter. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge amount of detailed information which is below that. I would argue is vital to the way businesses understand what their customers need. Indeed. We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the internal consulting group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. The fix to this is net customer needs score where we actually do figure out what customers need and if we're doing a good job meeting those needs and therefore 
lay on top of that than the net promoter score to find out how that's affecting their behaviors post-measurement or post-event or post-customer experience. Yeah, so net promoter score is, just to be absolutely clear, it's the propensity of your customer to promote you. Mm -hmm. And net lead score is more directly about their experience now. Did you do a good job now? It's as simple as that. The net result is the net need score is going to be an indicator of do they come back, do they continue to do business with you, or are they going to churn? Yes. Do we even have the platform of creating people that are going to promote us? Correct. It would be difficult to imagine a customer who would give you a low customer need score, somebody who was saying you're not meeting my needs, and then go on to give you a positive net promoter score. From a common sense point of view, very simple basic principles, as we talked about at the beginning, it becomes very clear about how the relationship between these two numbers work and how customer needs score is very much about operational performance today rather than propensity to recommend tomorrow. Interesting. In some of the conversations that we've had in the show, without a doubt, you've got to get that base first. You've got to figure out what it is that people are going to promote. Absolutely lined up before you can expect for them to promote anything. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That in itself is vitally important, but it's not enough. And you do need to add wants or the things that make a difference to the customer on top of it. But you can't add those if you're not delivering those basic needs. It's as simple as that. One thing that was surprising for me was I invented this approach to thinking, this metric, with the simple objective of, helping organizations do a better job on delivering to their customers. What I've discovered working with clients here in the UK is that there are much farther reaching consequences of this approach. For instance, if you want to work out what your strategic direction should be, where you're likely to make best margin going forward, then all of that is almost certainly going to be a combination of delivering needs at the lowest possible cost Mm -hmm. and developing the ability to meet wants at the best possible margin. So the simple fact, again, first principles is customers want to pay the minimum amount of money for you to meet their needs, but they're happy to pay more money, potentially with a greater margin for you to deliver their wants. Very simple principle, but the approach allows people to define that and be clear about it and have a strategy around it. So this simple approach is also, for a number of our clients, now turned into a strategic planning tool. It's such a great way of figuring out what's the next step in creating your successful business. This dials straight into a concept that I've been chewing on for a while, which is the profit equation. Scarce times desirable times necessary. And yes. We have to have all three of those things to create profit. If it's something is not scarce, if it's widely available, if it's a commodity, it's difficult to make a profit. If people don't desire it, it's very difficult to make a profit, even if they find it necessary. What I see here is that you're really plugging into that whole mix of scarce, desirable, and necessary, where we supply what's necessary, that's the net customer need score, then we also add on top of that what's desirable, and then supply things that tend to be a little more scarce. Of course, scarcity doesn't have to be a commodity element. It can also be how the customer service is delivered or the location that you're serving it from. Not everybody can occupy the same piece of real estate. Or it could be that you have a secret formula, a la many restaurants, Coca-Cola, for example. So that scarcity creates value as well. So I really like how all those things fit together from a strategic standpoint and deciding where to go, measuring how you're doing and what you need to pay attention to, to remain profitable and competitive. 
yeah, your interpretation is exactly right. And it allows organizations to have a clear lens about how those things interact. So this very act of defining needs, and it doesn't matter whether you call them something else, but they're the same things. They're the fundamental things that you need. As you say, they're typically commoditized. They're typically the things that drive scale of turnover for you. So they might be very necessary depending on your business. But defining wants, and again, you can call them various different things, but they're the things that essentially make a difference to the customer. Right. Knowing what those things are allows you to understand the profit margin around those and where you can drive up profit. And of course, as I've said earlier, um, delivering needs at the lowest possible cost also contributes towards that thinking. There's just one other piece of insight I'd like to add, which is not mine. It's borrowed from Professor Kano, who did some work in the 1990s, I believe. Would you spell his name for me, please? Kano, so that's K-A-N-O. He did a lot of work, but essentially his research came down to the fact that what is a want today will become a need tomorrow. So the important thing about that, for boards is they need to work out for their new shiny thing that they just delivered to their customers, their new service or their new product. When is tomorrow? And that may be tomorrow or that may be in a year's time, but they need to understand that. And they also need to ask themselves a simple question is, when this new sparkly thing that I've just given you as a customer and I've reset your expectations, when that becomes a need and it will, can I still afford to deliver it cost effectively? Mm -hmm. So things move, if you like, down from wants into needs. And I have a number of clients who have come up with some fantastic innovation in the retail space, same-day delivery, really exciting for customers, great convenience, really novel here in the UK, but within a very short period of time of about a year, for the customers using that service, they now see that as the organization meeting a need for same-day delivery. Right on. What a brilliant example, Stephen. We can sit back and we can pontificate. Oh, nobody needs same day delivery. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah. And once you've had it and it's done really well, as in the case of this large national retailer in the UK, for those customers, and they're a large number, that's now a need. That's, that's right. meeting a need. If you don't deliver it, then they will complain. Absolutely true. Another example that I can think of is mobile phones. I can remember sitting in a car with one of my colleagues in the UK for the first time talking on a mobile phone. Because the UK tended to be ahead of the United States in that particular technology. And thinking about, man, I want that. Well, now uh, it's not a want. I don't even have a landline anymore. Same here. Right. So, that listener, you have to understand that wants do become needs. And you've got to stay on top of that trend if you're going to stay ahead of the curve. That gets back to this idea that the net customer needs score that you've created, Stephen, is something that has to be done on a continuous, ongoing basis. It's not just one and done. No, that's right. And that group of needs may shift or change over a period of time. Our experience so far shows that it doesn't typically change very quickly, but it will change. And organizations need to be always aware of of what those needs are. And of course, the needs in any sector will be driven by environmental factors. What is your competitor doing? What is the new latest thing? So the national retailer in the UK who created same-day delivery ahead of Amazon have set the pace for other retailers in the UK. And they, of course, are now measured against needs by the customers who shop in various different retailers. What a great insight. One of the things you said earlier is that it's not just a matter of doing surveys. You have to consider what the customers are saying. You said specifically you need to look at what customers say. 
Tell me more about that and the implications of that. We find lots of organizations that collect huge amounts of verbatim data, that they typically will not look at it, or if they do look at it, they'll only look at it to perhaps respond to individual customer complaints or failures. But of course, there's a lot of value here. One way we work with clients is that we look at verbatim feedback and we essentially theme it into these needs groups. So we're able to pick out you know, what are customers talking about, either positively or negative, about the need that they're talking about? So uh, you mentioned a classic one earlier where a customer in a retailer might say, I need you to have it in stock. And they would express that maybe in the service saying, I came in and it wasn't in stock. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not difficult to reverse that. You right. can find patterns for that. And as I've mentioned, in most organizations, our experience shows that there are no more than a handful of needs groups, which typically will cover somewhere between 70 and 90% of the verbatim feedback provided. Once you understand that approach and you apply the appropriate analysis techniques, then it's possible to get that clarity. It's really simple. We had a chief executive of a national insurance organization here just a few months ago say, we gave him a presentation at the end of his piece of analysis, and he said the best thing he could ever say to me, which was, for the first time, I have absolute clarity about what we need to do next for our customers. Fantastic. Uh, and that, for me, is a big, big payoff, because that's exactly what we're trying to do. I'm always so impressed by how we take something that seems so obvious, but people just aren't paying attention to, and you turn it into something that we can wrap our heads around and take action from. I really love the elegance that you're bringing to this. Well, thank you. Yes, although I still claim it's all about simplicity and very straightforward principles being applied, we have produced some machine learning software which assists with that process. So what we are now able to do is put in really large quantities of data into essentially a black box, which allows us to identify that simple set of needs from existing data. Excellent. So that you're using automation now to help you stay on top of this. Is this something we need to look at on a continuous basis? For example, earlier you said the needs change slowly, yet we still have to track them to stay ahead of our competition and keep our customers from churning. Is this something that's worth to look at on a continuous basis, looking at a executive dashboard to illustrate whether we're keeping on target or something's drifting out of alignment that's causing or potentially cause a problem? Yes, I think you do. And of course, we're actually looking at two things, aren't we? We're looking at the needs themselves. So what are the set of needs from my organization or organizations in my sector? Then, of course, most importantly, we're looking at how well you're performing against those needs. While the needs groups change relatively slowly, obviously, how well you are meeting them can change on a day-by-day, week-by-week, or month-by-month basis. So increasingly, we're finding that the CX suite of people we deal with want a dashboard, which allows them to take a snapshot based on the data feed, which says, last week, these are the needs that we met really well, and these are the needs that we are falling behind on. And then that also allows you to take tangible and tactical actions to actually improve it. If you're not delivering those needs as well as you should be, and don't forget it's essentially a binary activity, you either meet them or you don't meet If you're falling behind, then your competitors may be accelerating away. But as we referred to earlier, it's also about understanding needs so you can build the wants on top. If you don't understand needs, you can't build the wants. You start building a house on top of sand. Steve, this has been such a great conversation. 
really terrific and powerful insights you've shared with our listener. What do you want them to do? How do you want them to reach out to you? What's the best way for them to continue this conversation with you? Sure. I'd be delighted. I'm very passionate about this, as you can tell. So I'm very delighted to spread the thinking and the message. And if it helps anybody, then I take personal pride in that. So they can either email me on my email address, which is Stephen with a ph uh, dot Hewitt. It's about H-E-W-E-T-T at iCustomer.co.uk. As you mentioned, I have three books. The best one to start with is the first book, which is The Customer-Centric You, which talks about the philosophy and the thinking behind this approach. I'm based in the UK, but as you mentioned, I'm a global thought leader for Internal Consulting Group, which is a global organization. And if you pop those into a web browser, then you'll find that there'll be a local office near you, I'm sure. Indeed. And you can access Stephen that way as well. I appreciate your insights and generosity and sharing your fantastic wisdom on how to create customer relationships that continue into the future and create competitive advantage. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure, Mark. Thank you. That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to listen to more shows or to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.